Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you out today. It's a fine day to be in church, wouldn't you say? Sunday. Well, I had something interesting take place this morning. Getting ready for service, and our service today is titled Behind the Curtains, and what we're going to do is we're going to look and see what God does when we're not looking, when He's behind the curtains. Because the truth of the matter is, is that God acts, and God acts greater than our own understanding, and sometimes He just doesn't let us in on what's going on. So, we're going to look at Job, a case study in that. Job is known for his suffering, right? And so those of you who are suffering today, you will take great comfort in this, I hope. But I went out to the car this morning to get in, and I opened up the back door to put my briefcase in there, and I thought, why is there a bunch of glass in here? And then I looked over at the passenger side, and some kind-hearted person um, broke the window and bashed in my car. And I thought, oh boy. And somehow they knew about the car. I had my brand new fishing rod and all my flies and a couple of extra reels in the trunk. I thought that would be safe. Well, they were able to pull the seats down and take them all out. So, I hope that the Lord returns upon their head <laughs> sevenfold. I said the Lord, not me. <laughs> but you, you, a part of this whole study is why do bad things happen to, to good people? And I, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm a good person. I know why that happened to me. I'm joking. But we ask that question, don't we? Like, why is this person going through a hard time? There's a lot of terrible people around. Why can't they be the ones that catch all the disease, right? But it doesn't seem to work out that way. The rain falls on the good and the ungodly at the same time. And that's just the way the world works. You remember that movie, The Wizard of Oz? Uh, as a child, it was terrifying. As an adult, it's still terrifying. Whenever I think of those witches like shoes curling up and rolling under the house, I still shudder. But there's the great Oz who's in charge of everything. He's, he's doing everything. He is the great voice. And then at the end of the movie, you find out that he's just a guy behind a curtain with a microphone. It's just the opposite when it comes to God. We have a lot of ideas and thoughts and theories and practices that we engage in based upon what we feel God to be. Now, I don't, and I'm not going to say this to hurt your feelings, but oftentimes surrounding a funeral, I'll hear someone say, well, they're an angel now and they're my guardian angel. And I'm thinking, well, they died. How, I mean, how, 
good of a guardian are they, really? But that's not a true thing. We don't find that in Scripture. Angels are created beings with incredible power that are subject to God. Human beings who die remain so, and their souls go to be with the Lord or into another place. But we think about that, and we like to talk about someone as our guardian angel. We make up stuff about God. God is, he's the man upstairs, you know? But we really don't know that, do we? We think that if something happens to a person who's bad, well, they just get what they deserve. But what do we do when something bad happens to a really good person? Hence, Job, Job himself. If something terribly wrong went on in his life, terribly wrong, because he was a person who was from the land of Uz, and we don't really know the background on this. Possibly this is one of the oldest books in the Bible, one of the oldest books in the world. We don't know for sure. But there's maybe one connection, and that is uh, Abraham speaking about a guy by the name of Eliphaz uh, in Genesis. But beyond that, we, I think that it's on purpose. He really didn't want us to get caught up in all this stuff. The story itself is so compelling and so powerful. He was known as someone who was blameless before God and had complete integrity, and he feared God, and he stayed away from evil. He was very wealthy as well. He had a fortune. He had 700 sheep, 300 camels, 500 team of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and he employed many servants and was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area, period. His family had seven sons and three daughters, but something bad happened. Something bad, very bad happened. That is, that there was a convene, convening of God and his angels, sort of a, a high court meeting. And this gives us a little peering into heaven itself. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, it reads this way. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. Satan here is translated the accuser, Satan. He is the accuser. He is the agent provocateur. He is the one who drums up business for the court. He doesn't believe in God's relationship with mankind, and he willfully and is ready to accuse mankind before God. He stays that way. He is also known in the New Testament as the pseudopatre, the father of lies. All right. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And he answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on the earth like him, he's blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. 
Well, God was up for the challenge. He said, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, you will not lay a finger. So what happens? So what happens is, is that Satan goes out and does his business, and Job begins his trials, trials of painful, painful, painful destruction. First wave, Job experiences terrible tragedies. The Sabaeans come in, and they steal all their oxen and their donkey. They kill his farmhands. They fall, fire falls from heaven, get this, and burns up sheep and his shepherds. Uh, the Chaldeans carry off the camels and kill his servants. And finally, a mighty wind blows down the house where his sons and daughters are, killing all of them. Job probably would have liked to have a heads up, wouldn't you say? But he didn't. Calamity falls, and all we are there to do, we find out how really strong we are as human beings. How powerful, how much manifest destiny that we can project into the world. When calamity comes, it seems just like everybody else. Job was helpless. But then something else happened. Something else happened is the convening of the angels in heaven came. And Satan was there with them. And God said, hey, Satan, what you been doing? Well, you know, roaming back and forth, causing trouble. Have you considered Job? He's holding up pretty well. He hasn't cursed me or anything. And he says, this is what he says. It's crazy. <clears throat> Chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, if you'd like to read along. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and his bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well. Then he is in your hands. You must spare his life, though. And Satan went out in the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores and the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Job took a piece of broken pottery shard and scraped himself with it and sat among the ashes. He was covered in boils. If any of you know anything about boils, very painful and very gross. It's not only painful to his person, but it's also a sense of uncleanness and filthiness, right? To be afflicted that way. And they didn't have the modern medication. They couldn't go to the doctor and get it all taken care of, sewed up and whatever. He was discovered and disgusted and completely without hope, sitting in ashes. You see, something terrible happened to Job. Job wasn't expecting it. Job was a success. Job trusted God. Job had a big family. He had a lot of hands. He had a lot of people. He supported people. He was a minch. This guy was it. And then all of a sudden, something horrible happens to him. And even we would sit by and think, why is all of this happening to this guy? What did he ever do to deserve this? 
Well, the answer is nothing. But then enters the, the rest of this book, for the most part, is a conversation with advice from friends. The advice of his friends. They came around. First, it was his wife. And she came along and she said, look, you're so miserable, bro. I mean, that's a loose translation. You know, you have this faith in God, but why don't you just curse him and die? And she didn't mean that flippantly. I think she was probably thinking, look, we've lost everything. We've lost everything. Our children, our home, everything. Surely the idea is that God must be against you. All that's left to do is just curse him and let him finish you off. Because she had lost hope. This is a very tricky section of this book. Because in this section we have the advice of friends which use the conventional wisdom of the day. And the conventional wisdom of the day usually isn't in complete concert with God himself. Even among those who would call themselves believers. It's not necessarily in congruent with what actually God is doing. And so during a time of tragedy, it's usually your friends and other people who come out to help you and to console you. People say some of the worst things when someone dies, you know, because you, you want to say something that's good, but there's really nothing you can say. So the best thing you can say is nothing. But we'll go ahead and say stuff like, well, they're in a better place now. Or I've heard it said, you know what, I guess God needed that person in heaven more than he needed them here. And I heard that as a kid and I thought, what, God needs my dad? I'm eight years old. I need my dad more than God does. You see, we have in our own conventional wisdom this idea that there has to be an answer for everything. And so because of that, we're compelled to speak out in areas that are far beyond our pay grade. Far beyond our pay grade, even though the intentions may be good. Job was starting to lose it at this point because in speaking with his friends, he said, look, I'm innocent. I'm innocent, man. I haven't done anything to deserve this. And as far as I understand <laughs> my God that I sacrifice to and honor this is not judgment against me. It can't be judgment against me. No way. It's not. He believes, this is his worldview, that God doesn't rule the world at that point. He had first thought that God ruled the world by justice because things were going his way. But at this point, after all he's experienced, he thinks this. God doesn't rule the world through justice. Or maybe God isn't just at all. Now that's real. Well, one of the things I love about Scripture is that people in Scripture get real. Because when things go wrong, it, it, it shakes the very foundation of our faith, doesn't it? Now his friends come along. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Zophar so good, he was such a great guy.
This is what they believe. This is kind of their worldview. Number one, God is just. And we would agree with that, right? God's just. He runs the world according to justice. And if you have bad things happening to you right now, it's because somewhere in your life you have blown it and you deserve it and you are now experiencing the consequences of that decision. You see, Eliphaz comes along and he basically sees Job as a good man who's lost his way. You know, if you just change your attitude and get back on track, things are going to work out. We, we, equate, we understand this because the world still sees things this way. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. But what about Job? And what about you when bad things happen to you? Eliphaz, you're a good man, Job. You've gone astray. And the, the conversation just continues on. Job responds. His friends respond. And it goes on for chapters and chapters. Bildad comes along and he, he says, as a comforter, he says, he argues from the traditional view, okay, or tr traditional wisdom, that his effort, his effort was to prove that Job and his family got only what they deserved. You could pick apart someone like that. Well, you're rich. You're selfish. You lord all over these people. Look at all these poor people in the land. I don't have as much as you do. You've been greedy. You've done wrong. You shouldn't be that way. Why don't you sell everything and give it to the poor? Why? You can go, list can go on and on and on and on. People can look at your life and my life, your friends, my friends, well-meaning people, can look and say, this is what you deserve. It just makes sense. And the sooner you accept that, the better off you're going to be. That is the conventional wisdom. But the truth is, not so. Because God is greater. God is bigger. And God is all-powerful. And that is the terrifying thing about God. It's comforting and yet terrifying at the same time. Zophar... He comes in as a comforter as well, but he's a poor comforter. And he urges Job to repent or die the death God reserves for the wicked. It's obvious. Conventional wisdom in our society, in every culture, is never complete. Because it usually doesn't factor in the amazing and greater status, power, ability, intellect, superiority of God himself. What we do is we adopt a cheap understanding of who God is. A God of love would never let this happen, so God can't be love, right? You've heard that. You may have said that. Why would God allow so much evil in the world? Surely he is not good. Surely not. Why do we have coronavirus? Some will say it's the devil. Read here, the devil has to get permission. 
Well, this is a scary Bible study. I know. That's what I'm talking about. Scripture says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Period. That's you and me. Because if you have a sense of feeling of control at all, there's still a sense that you know enough about God and you can still kind of control God and you've got it worked out with Him so everything's okay. Well, I tell you what, He's good, but He's not safe. So, lastly, Job says, that's enough. I've heard enough from you guys. He completely loses it. He goes through this whole rant where he calls God a bully and God's not fair. And finally, he, just, he loses it and he demands an answer from God. He says in chapter 31, verse 35, he says, Oh, that someone to hear, had someone to hear me. If I just had someone to hear me, a sign. Now my, I sign my now defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Show me what I have done. Because he's racked his brain. And he knows that he hasn't been offensive to God. And his friends have just drawn out this long arguments that he has. And so he would seem that he is a denier. Nobody wants to be a denier today, do they? Maybe he was conviction hesitant. Come on, speed up. Get up. Get up. That was funny. All right. Finally, you have this young man by the name of Elihu who observes the conversations and so forth. And he comes in with his worldview, basically, which is in line with everyone else is that God is just and that he runs the world according to justice. I mean, that God is perfectly fair. Uh, but he takes a different tact. He says, look, maybe God is trying to tell you something. Maybe God is giving you a warning or maybe warning other people around you, all of us who know how rich you are and how famous you are. Maybe he's giving us all a warning and teaching us something through your pain. Maybe this is something that God is using to build your character and your wife's character. Boy, wouldn't you like to punch that guy in the mouth? God's just building character in you. Say hallelujah, my friend. Punch right in the face. No. And he says that Job, one thing he says right. Job, you're wrong for accusing God. You see, Job started out as, I'm not going to accuse God. I came into this world naked, naked I shall leave the world. I didn't have anything when I came in. And all that I have is from God. He figured that early in the beginning. That's, it's me. It's my life. My life is a God story. But it got worse, and he was covered in boils, and the reality of his life just started to stink. And he comes to the point, tell me what I've done wrong. God, are you good? That's a big question. God, are you good? I trusted you. 
I feel like you betrayed me. And this young man says, look, you're wrong for accusing God. That is a very true statement. It doesn't mean that it's not understandable that you would accuse God. It's very understandable. He's in charge. Who else are you going to accuse? But we're wrong for that because it's a very, very limited view. So let's look at the real story. What's really going on? Job chapter 38, beginning in verse 1, if you'd like to read along. He says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. This is so good. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched and measured across it? What were its footings set? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Remember my days growing up in Texas, there was always somebody come along and say, who do you think you are, boy? Well, I'm young. I know things. Well, I'm old, and I was there before you knew things. A greater authority trumps. And God comes in, and he doesn't say, oh, Job, I didn't know that you had boils all over you. That's terrible. Satan didn't tell me he was going to do that. You know what? I'm going to get you an ice cream cone. He said, stand up as tall as you can in the full measure of a created being that I've called you, mankind. Mankind were to be kings of the earth, rulers of the earth, those who would have dominion over the earth, someone that would give an account to God for their existence on the earth and what they do on the earth and what they do with God's provisions. God's telling him, you work for me. Now stand up, look at me straight, and answer me a question. Where were you when all of this stuff took place? You know? Do you know how I laid the foundations, measured everything out? Were you there when all of this was taking place and the holy angels were singing in joy and honor and awe? That's the world that I roll in, human being. See, God sounds tough. Ooh, he's more than tough. He's more than tough. But he was basically asking, where were you and who are you? You can't even give me one answer. And he goes through a list of creation of all the things that God has done. And he says, can you give me an answer for any of this stuff? You know about the birds? 
Do you know about the stars? Do you know any of this stuff? And, and, and he's just going through, and Job's realizing, I am under a misapprehension. I am clouded in my own mind. I have been thinking way too small about God. And he comes out the other side thinking, God, you are so much greater than me. God is so much greater than your window getting knocked out and someone stealing your favorite fly rod. May they have boils. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll forgive and I'll forget eventually. I was thinking about an insurance claim. That rod went up from $400 to $1,000 in one day. Inflation. <laughs> so what happens? Job gets a reality check from God. Not because God hates him. Not because God's a bully. Not because God's insensitive. But because God absolutely loves Job. And when Job is confronted with God's greatness and his greaterness, this is what he says. Job then replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. Right? Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And get this, friends, you know that things are right between you and God when this is the stuff that starts rolling out of your mouth. My ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, this is what happens when God gives you a clear vision of who he is. No more messing around. No more getting mad at him. Throwing temper tantrums. No more just you, you, you. You see, God's been so good to all of us that we think that that's just the way it is all the time. And, and God, what he's doing with this Satan, this, this accuser, is he's teaching a lesson that this guy won't learn. And that is, there is a love bond between the creator of the universe and his creation and his creatures that cannot be broken because that is real and powerful. And God's saying, you can test our love all day, but I guarantee you, I will keep that love and I will preserve my servants See, that's hardy. Do you bet on weak things? No, but God knows the outcome. And God bets on those who, loves, who he loves. So what happens? Well, he rewards him. He gives him back his stuff. He rebukes his friends. Like, you guys are idiots. You should not go into, you should not be psychologists. Terrible advice. And Job prays that God would restore him, and then God re restores his fortunes. 
And he lives to be 100, he lives 140 more years. That's older than Betty White. No doubt she was much cuter and a sweeter personality. Here's what we learned from this. The question, why do we suffer, is never answered. Sorry, not in this book. It's never answered. Why? We learn that this world is a very complex place, okay? Justice, okay, isn't perfect in this world. The story in Scripture is that there is a fallen world, fallen human nature, fallen creation. And so perfection is not taking place on this plane. God's ideas are here with us, but producing it, something else. That will come when the king of peace, the prince of peace, the king comes and his city comes down out of heaven, the new Jerusalem, and dwells among mankind. And justice will flow in peace and mercy and healing for the nation. That's when that's going to take place. Until then, justice is complex. We think justice is simple. God, they did something bad. Don't let them get away with it. This person did something bad over here. Don't let them get away with it. And God's like, yeah, but do you know about their childhood? No, I don't know about their childhood. Well, I do. And maybe they need a little grace, and maybe they need a little understanding, so I'm going to give them another chance. Don't give them another chance. They blew it, God. Get them. No. Things are more complex than you. I'm greater than you. I see it all. It's not that simple. One thing we note is that God's love for his servants, people who follow him and call upon his name, is greater than all of the turmoil in the world. You get that? It's greater than all the turmoil in the world. Be it satanic, supernatural, or purely human folly and evil, it doesn't really matter. God is still greater than it all. And his, God is the greatest, okay? And we live in and are a part of his great creation. We're in it, we're a part of it, and we're a part of his mind and expression. Our questions that we can come up with, why God allows this to happen, why is this happening to this good person over there, why isn't it happening to the evil person over there, all of our questions, the best that we can muster for God are weak. Job and his buddies had some pretty big questions for God, and God says they're weak. Do you know even how the universe was? Do you know any of this stuff? Well, I do. I do. And I understand your particular needs. Because though our questions are weak, God's answers are profound. Profound. That's who we serve. We cling to the things that we understand there are things that we know about God for sure. 
and we cling to those things. And we trust His greatness for the things that we don't understand. You see, the takeaway from this is this. If you have trust and faith in God and something bad comes along, first thing, what, abandon everything else, but don't abandon your faith in God. Your friend's advice may not be any good. Conventional advice may not help at all. But to abandon God in the process, God is saying, don't do that. I'm the one that's going to stick with you through this to the end, and I'm greater than anybody you're going to talk to. I'm greater than any idea that you may have about me, and I'm for you, and I love you. And the most important thing is that our love remain intact. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? But that is the greatness of the God we serve. God is greater God is greater. God is greater. That means we can trust Him. That means that we can't simplify the things that happen in the world around us and put them in nice little categories. God's like, yeah, you don't know everything. Because behind the curtain, there's somebody that is greater than we could ever imagine or understand. That's why we sing such beautiful songs on Sunday morning. It's the best expression that we can give to a king like him. God is not weak. God is the greatest. If you need prayer this morning, I'd love to pray for you. Let me just lift up your hand if you've never, you know, given your heart to God and you need to make things right. Just would you bow your heads real quickly? I just want to make sure that if there's somebody here who needs to get things right with Jesus, man, let's do it right now. There's no better time. Just raise up your hand. Anybody. Well, all right. If you have a specific prayer need where you're, you need to be in a good relationship with God or there's really, you're going through rough times, raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Anybody. So everybody, all right. Got one up here. Anybody else in the back? Awesome. I see those hands on the side. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, everybody. Those of you who are believers and trust in the Lord, let's bind together and we're going to lift up our brothers and sisters in their tough time. And we're going to trust God that his, his will would be done and that his power would shine through and that their faith would be strengthened and God would deliver them. All right? Father, we thank you for those who've lifted their hands today and, and they are in need. Their families are in need. They're in need personally and they're in turmoil, God. And, and they, under, they understand what's going on in this book. And it's hard, Lord, when you're in, faced with this stuff to, to be bold and to trust in you. And you know that. But, Lord, we, we've come to know that you're greater than everyone and everything. And very simply, Lord, in this simple church, in this simple place, we're just going to trust you. And we ask, Lord, that you would intervene on their behalf, that you would pull them through, Lord, 
giving them hope and a testimony of your power and your greatness. And we do so, Lord, not doubting, but believing in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. All right. Would you stand with me and we'll see? This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.